0: Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios and as always we're ready to bring you another tennis podcast as we gear up for the French Open with the Rome Masters and a lot to talk about on today's show. Jason Goodall, TC broadcaster, returns to the show to discuss Rafael Nadal's announcement that he will not be playing the French Open and will be out for several months, with the unfortunate news that he is looking at 2024 as a farewell tour. We break down Rafael's announcement, his impact on the sport, the ramifications on this year's French Open, and we segue into the Rome Masters with upsets go galore. Djokovic losing the whole Garuna is the Danish kid, a threat. In the French Open, we talk about Alcaraz as the favorite, other players lurking on the men's side, and Igas Spiontech losing to Rabacana with the retirement loss for health. As she goes into the French Open, Sabalenka, Rabacana, as well as other players that can contend. Lots of good tennis talk on the road to Roland Garros with Jason Goodall. And then it's Michelle McMahon joining the show for the first time, a new TC broadcaster. She's worked for countless networks in her decade-plus-long sports broadcasting career, currently a rinkside reporter for the Dallas Stars, works for Pickleball, has covered tennis now for a few months here at TC. She talks about her journey from the Michigan volleyball team growing up in Grand Rapids, making it into the sports broadcasting world, what she loves about tennis and what she hopes to accomplish, and just some positive life lessons along the way. It's Jason Goodall, followed by Michelle McMahon on Tennis Channel Inside In. And the show starts right now. We're now welcoming on Tennis Channel Inside In back again. It's been a few months. A lot's changed in the tennis calendar, the tennis season for good and for bad. It's our commentator, play-by-play guy. You see him on TV all hours of the day. One of the hardest working men in the sport. Jason Goodall, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an interesting time of year. Uh, we're into the Rome Masters tail end. These draws are, are getting bigger and badder, and before we get into that, we're actually recording this minutes, I mean, within the hour of Rafael Nadal's big announcement, and uh, it's unfortunate that he will not be playing Roland Garros, said it's impossible for him to play. No direct translation for me because most of it was in Spanish. But the gist of it is he's going to be taking a few months off. He wants to come back in 2024 to say goodbye, basically. He wants to have one last go-round at his favorite events. But the announcement was one, unfortunately, Jason, we were all kind of expecting. But still, it's hard to hear a legend of the sports saying that his time is limited.
2: Of course it is, and especially... On the eve of Roland Garros, where he's been so utterly dominant in all of sport, you won't see a record as good as Nadal's at that event. And we were all hoping against hope that he would be able to find a way to at least pitch up, to at least try to work mm-hmm. himself into some semblance of form over the course of the first week to give himself a shot of winning yet another title in the second week. And so many of my co-commentators were saying even at 60%, 70%, yeah. he's got a chance of making it through the quarterfinals and then... You never know. He left on crutches last year with a 14th title, didn't he? So he and all of his fans and all of us tennis fans just just wanted Mm -hmm. the opportunity for himself to to, to give himself a shot. He just wasn't able to do that. So, yes, it's bitterly disappointing, but I think off the back of that, what we all want is him to take enough time, whatever time that is, enjoy time at home, uh, enjoy being a father, and come back fully fit so that we can give him and celebrate him in the way that he should be celebrated yeah. and give him a proper goodbye and that so that he can enjoy his last time on a tour, be it at Davis Cup. Hopefully yeah. he'll be back for that tail end of this year, be it at the Majors, be it in Paris. Pick and choose, but when you do pitch up, be fully fit so that yeah. we can enjoy and celebrate what an amazing career he's had.
1: A couple of things that stood out to me, one being when he said what we all were, were thinking was how hard it was post-pandemic with all the injuries, how hard it was to practice, how... Those injuries do take the joy away from it. It's tough to hear. And, and also, Jason, like, you know, there's no right, there's no way this feels good, right? Federer wasn't able to say goodbye. We wanted that farewell tour. But then hearing Rafa say, this is basically it for me. I'm going to do my best. It's tough either way. And of saying goodbye to these guys is hard. And, and look, we, we want Rafa to be healthy and we're appreciative of any time that we've got with him left on the tennis court. It's going to be so weird in Paris without him there. Like, even though we knew it wasn't going to last forever, the fact that he's not in the event that he's dominated, that I still think is the greatest domination in any sport. Like, there's no singular achievement more impressive than what Rafa's done 14 French Opens.
2: No, and had he been able to pitch up, even though he's hardly been able to play in the last few months and wasn't able to put in any time on the clay, everybody else would still have felt threatened because of his record and because of how well he's played over the course of five sets in Paris. So it's a tremendous opportunity for all of those left in the draw. But this is what happens. We talk about the longevity of these players like Federer and like Nadal and how amazing that is. I just think it's remarkable that they have come back time and time again from serious injury Mm. and been able to win majors. That's unheard of. It's impossible to do. You look at someone like Zverev, who was out from Paris last year, that horrible injury that he suffered against Rafa, in the semifinals, wasn't able to play the rest of the season. And, yeah. and now we're, we're almost in the summer and he's still struggling yeah. for confidence, still struggling for some semblance of the form that he showed prior to that injury. That's normal mm-hmm. for someone like you know Rafa and Roger who have had those injuries and then come back and been able to add to their major tally. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And that's what makes them yeah. so special. But at, at the end of the day, their bodies are gonna break down because the game yeah. has become so physical and it's so demanding when you're into your mid to late 30s. So unfortunately, that's gonna happen.
1: We never thought Rafa would get this far. I mean, oh. that's, that was the talk, right? When he was coming up, he's great, it's amazing, but it's so physical. So just to get here is amazing. And you, you touched on it perfectly. What makes the big three the greatest three is that all three were knocked off their perch, injuries, issues, lost the number one ranking, and they all got it back. So sad to see for Rafa, but, you know, we're hopeful that we're going to get him back on the court end of this year into 2024. The Rome Masters this week and, you know, and last week as the expanded draws, it's been exciting. There's been no shortage of drama. And I wonder with these bigger draws in the clay court season, Rome and Madrid taking the Indian Wells Miami model, Jason, do you think these upsets are kind of the new normal? Because it's the fatigue factor, but it's also the opportunity factor for some players that are getting chances they might not have otherwise had.
2: Yeah, the draw will open up. When you've got 32 seeds, and they're all given byes initially, and then you've got players like Hanfman that come through the qualifying, like Struff as a lucky loser in Madrid, like Kratsev who beat him in the last round of qualifying and then had that deep (laughs) run there too. That's going to happen, especially with players that have big games too. And so I think there is always going to be an opportunity. You know, perhaps a a seed has to withdraw at the last moment. So suddenly you're in a section where there is no seed, and suddenly you find yourself in the third round. Then you have a good win, and before you know it, you're in the quarterfinals. And that's a little harder to do on a reduced draw when you're only playing across seven days or eight days if they play a couple of the first rounds on a Sunday, like in Monte Carlo. So I think we are going to see that more often. And I think for the players, when you have these back-to-back elongated events, then it's going to be a learning curve. You have to manage your time off-court. You have to understand that you know if you lose early, how are you going to then... Structure your practice. Are you going to drop down, play smaller tournaments in the second week of those events? Or are you going to spend time taking it easy and and almost having a mini break in the hope that you're going to feel a little better than in two or three weeks' time? So it's a different structure for the players to get used to. And those that manage that time better than the others will have an advantage
1: i also kind of like the fact that and we've always heard a critique of tennis that it's too standardized it's kind of nice to go from different like elevation clay madrid to a different style where players have to adjust I, I agree with with what you're saying i also think that when you get to this last step this might be the most quote unquote parody because you have the top end players thinking how much of the tank do i want to empty before the ultimate prize Roland Garros, and you see that in a lot of ways and I mean, we saw Alcaraz lose to a Hungarian qualifier, which was stunning in a lot of ways. Stunning in how it happened that Morosian, the kid, was was fearless at the, at the end, won the last six points. Alcaraz did look like he was a little fatigued. I think it's fair to say. Like, he was trying, you know, working his butt off, but he was still a little tired.
2: He said afterwards that he felt yeah. 100% physically, and he was certainly competing yeah. throughout the match. Tail end of that second set, trying to find a way to turn it around, but again, it just shows you the depth in tennis, yeah. you know, you've got somebody who has been playing on challenges, and many of us have never seen him play before, and then yeah. all of a sudden, he's able to come out and beat Alcaraz in straight sets, and yeah. the manner of the victory, the way that he's fearless out there, mm-hmm. and able to yeah. express himself, and beat him at his own game, yeah. it's incredible. Just one last point on your previous point, in terms of these tournaments, the, with the 12-day the, the events in the main draw, I think the one thing we have to do as a sport is just make sure that we continue to get enough information to the fans because the tournaments now are harder to follow. So we got two quarterfinals today in Rome, but yesterday we had two men's quarterfinals, a couple of the ladies' quarterfinals. Then suddenly, a couple of the players that came through to the semifinals got two days that's off. That's true. It's, it's not like a yeah. major where it's one day on, mm-hmm. one day off, and it's easier to follow. Which half of the drawers playing today? And
1: which, you had rain to the mix, and that's yes, even and, harder. and it's
2: hard. So, so yeah. you know, as a as a casual fan it might be easier for them just to tune out a little bit and kind of lose a little bit of interest. I'm not quite sure who's playing when, when are my favorites playing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for those of us that are broadcasting, we've got to make sure that we keep getting that information out there to the fans so that they can follow these events.
1: Are you surprised or do you wholeheartedly agree you're somewhere in between with Alcaraz, despite the loss, which losses happen, no one's going to go undefeated? He's going to enter Roland Garros as a prohibitive. This is a solid favorite. we'll say. Djokovic is number two, but there's some distance between the two. Does that shock you at all?
2: No. I think Alcaraz is the favorite. I think, obviously, in the majors, you have to consider previous history in the majors. And for someone like Novak and Rafa and Roger, when he was competing, you know, those guys have so much experience to draw upon. And often what happens at the end of an event is that's what really comes into play. Mm -hmm. So put Novak in the the semis and the final, then he's going to be hoping that that will give him an edge. Uh, Alcaraz, though, US Open last year showed us that, you know, he can still play fearless tennis when it really matters, and he seems to embrace that challenge. And I think this time last year, having played so well in those tournaments prior to Paris, he felt the pressure and played poorly against Mm. Zverev, and and he was very open about that afterwards. He said, you know, this big learning curve for me because it's the first time I've really experienced that and everybody was talking about how I was the you know the favorite and Rafa was playing and Novak was playing and mm-hmm. you know that meant that mm-hmm. uh, he performed poorly mm-hmm. so i think 12 months on He'll definitely have learned from that, and I think in terms of the quality of tennis that we've seen from him when he's been fully fit this season, yeah. irrespective of that loss in Rome, means that he has to be the favorite. He certainly is in my eyes.
1: Yeah, he almost lost earlier in that tournament, too. I had some match points down. I think it was Ramos Vinolas was the match. And so, mm. yeah, he, he's adjusted to his the weight of expectations as good as anyone his age. And I also think part of it is Djokovic hasn't looked tip-top Djokovic. If he would have come in rolling gotten to play guns a blazing maybe you make him even favorites but you know that's a testament to the depth of the tour as you said Djokovic form Djokovic's form Jason in this tournament he gets to the quarterfinals gets by Cam Norrie in a testy match and gets to Holger Rune, loses in three I'll start with Holger he won that match like that was a brilliant performance down the stretch and a disjointed match at times but I don't look at that loss as any time you lose to Holger a bad loss. I look at Holger having taken that match.
2: Yeah, let's not just talk about Alcaraz, right? As yeah. far as the you know, the young players that are really starting to make their mark. This time last year, yeah. we saw Runa make the breakthrough in Paris, didn't we? Had a good win over Setsipass, lost in the quarterfinals. And even then, you know, I was commentating on a couple of his matches with Jim Courier and he was saying, Yeah, you know, look, he's still very much a work in progress, doesn't quite understand how to use his forehand <laughs> or structure a point. He's a good shot maker, he's a good competitor. he's full of confidence, so he's a great watch, but he's still well short of being anywhere near his best. And yet, all of a sudden, six months on, started to get on that roll, tail end of last year, right? And beating the best players in the world, beating Novak in a final in Paris, indoors. I mean, that takes some doing. Uh, Novak's record there was incredible, finishing the season on a high, and then backing it up beautifully this year as well finalist in Monte Carlo, successfully defended his title in Munich. What a final that was, you know, when he was down to van der Sandskorp and then just found found a way to win. I mean, so few players can do that, hobbling on one leg, struggling, getting really discouraged with his form on the day, but still able to get his hands on the trophy. And then he comes here and he beats Novak at his own game, winning the longer rallies from the back of the court when normally you have to find a way around Novak, yeah. and then he's got the ability to hit with pace, to use the drop shot, and he just embraces the challenge in Monte Carlo. We saw him play the role of the villain, and and embraced everybody booing him against Senna, <laughs> yeah. right? Didn't mind. Actually played better for him. He it. walked
1: down on the court against Fognini, was booed. Yes. <laughs> you know, it was full-on booed, and it fine won
2: the match and in straights. that happened in Madrid, right, yeah. against uh, Davidovich for Kirchner yeah. as well, but he, he doesn't mind, no. and so he's great for the game, he's a great watch, and, you know, sure he's going to mature a little bit, but at the moment... If he continues to play as well as that, I have him as the favourite going in against... Uh, rude in the semifinals mm. and who knows what's going to happen if he gets to the final here. Yeah. And then before you know it, he could be the third favorite in Paris.
1: I agree with that last part hundred percent. I think going in right now, depending on what we see from since Rood has a chance to get back to form. But Holger's that guy and his game. If he's, if he was a work in progress last year, it's a pretty good work in progress <laughs> based on what he was able to do. But you know, he's so dynamic and he has the game to back it up. I keep reiterating that point. So I look at Djokovic, in, in that sense, is look he got reps, he played some played some high level tennis. You know, the confidence is going to be unshaken going into the tournament, and you know he'll have the opportunity, have the luxury of being on the other side of Alcaraz, no Nadal. So I look at at Djokovic again. We go to the best of five thing, right? It's so hard That's to big. knock this guy out mm-hmm. in a Grand Slam tournament, and one of his and his main rival isn't there. So I would feel good also if I was Novak.
2: Yeah, I think when you start to talk about best of five, then that gives those greats an edge as well. If you look at uh, Runa, sometimes Sinner too has picked up a niggly injury and struggled over five. Alcaraz even Mm. has suffered Mm. uh, physically in some of his longer matches. So, there's definitely that to take into consideration as well. But... Much will depend on the draw, much will depend on how many of those players you'll need to go through, but let's not sleep on sets You know, when you're talking about those players that are kind of in the middle, not one of the legends of the game, not one of the youngsters breaking through, somebody who's had so much success on the clay in the last sort of three or four years, somebody who's almost won his first major, knocking on the doors at a good start to the season, still going strong in Rome. So he's very much in that mix as well, just behind Alcaraz and... Uh, novak
1: and we also did i just want to mention we got the drama with him and cam nori not bringing this up just because he's british also but <laughs> you know what tension's good sometimes Of course you know? it is. i don't think nori was that outrageous i think it was a cum- accumulation of things of the medical timeout of some of the reactions but you know Djokovic, if he gets perturbed he's probably going to play better <laughs>
2: and, you know N- novak as well you know he's not always the best behaved on the match court uh-huh. and, it doesn't bother me in the no. slightest you, you're out there you're competing you know why not get in a, your opponent's grill it, it adds tension it adds drama it adds excitement um, i love it as a neutral that's what <laughs> i want when i'm commentating on these matches something to discuss something to yeah. to talk about get us all excited and uh you know it was handbags at six paces at the end of the day but <laughs> uh, you know it, it, it added to the match and yeah, that's what i like to see what,
1: what's that phrase mean
2: Handbags at six paces, <laughs> it's when you're kind of, you know, having a go at each other, but it's okay. not a serious okay. uh, a disagreement. Wow.
1: Well, you it's and a Peche, very British face. You and Peche, i got to warn, i got to beef up on those okay, things. Yes, you do.
0: Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May twentieth.
1: Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Uh, more with Jason Goodall here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, before we switch to the women, are there any other guys that were? kind of working going into RG. I mentioned Sitsipas, Rude. Anybody that you think, you know, especially with Nadal out now, could be one to watch?
2: I think we've got to keep an eye on Yannick Senna. Mm. Been knocking on the door a lot. He's made the quarterfinals of all four majors. Somebody who plays well on a lot of different surfaces. He's made big improvements in his game since he started working with uh, Darren Cahill last summer. Played well on the grass, he's beefed up his serve. He's getting fitter, getting stronger. You know, that forehand of his is so ferocious. So he's someone who's hungry for success, and, and if he gets a half-decent draw, don't be surprised if he's in the semifinals and then yeah. anything can happen.
1: Yeah, it was the year Rafa won, what, 2021? I think it was 2021, where that was the toughest match he had the whole tournament was Sinners. So health has been an issue. Seems like he's rounding into form, has some stuff to kind of get to full bore, but he's won. And I'm interested to see how Casper Ruud looks against Holger. He was open about how the offseason was not one he would duplicate. Starting to find it again. Does just so well though, here.
2: just though, even though he's in the semifinals, he hasn't played great tennis in this tournament. Mm. The match against Sorondo in the quarterfinals was pretty poor. A lot of unforced yeah. errors. Yeah. We're so used to seeing him never miss and dominate mm-hmm. from the back yeah. of the court, and move opponents around with that forehand of his, and not miss off the backhand, and and, and challenge opponents to find a way around him. They haven't had to do that this season. He just missed a bunch of times and made a lot of errors and lost a lot of confidence and he doesn't look the same type of player. However, when you're that good, you're twice a finalist at major level, it only takes a little something to kickstart and build up your confidence. So who knows off the back of what he can achieve this week in Rome, it might be the perfect timing off the back of winning in Estoril for him then to go into Paris and not worry too much about all the points that he has to defend and... That's a key for me, I think, how he manages that. You know, he's got so mm-hmm. many points to defend, having done so well last year across the whole season. Is he feeling the pressure? Is that something that's weighing on his mind? Or, or can he just put that out of his mind and just concentrate on the execution of uh, a very right. simple game plan, but yet a highly effective one when he's playing well?
1: He didn't say Medvedev in there, though. You know, no. Eight and three on clay this year. It and is. He was, you know, going into this year, going into, you know, this tournament. He was under five hundred for his career. Yep. It's a little different. Now, it's not his best surface, and I think there's a reason why he's not considered a true title contender for RG, but it's been better, and it, I love it. Like, he's the most entertaining guy right now in the sport, I would say.
2: It's great to have him in the mix, yeah. isn't it? He was 0-3 coming into Rome, never won a match in the main draw mm. here, and all of a sudden finds himself in the semifinals, just beating uh, Yannick Hanfman, who had beaten the like of yeah. Fritz and Rublev and Jarry, playing some really good stuff, duffed him up. It's all about the movement, and yeah. it's all about the attitude. So the movement is getting better with each and every match, with every hour that he spends on the clay, off yeah. the back of losing in Madrid, spent a lot of time with his coach practicing, sliding in and out of shots. That's yeah. so crucial because his movement is so key and yeah. so good on a hard court. And then it's about the attitude, embracing the challenge, enjoying the fact that he's <laughs> going to get bad bounces, that yeah. you know, the crowd are going to start whistling and jeering him and booing yeah. him, and that doesn't matter. And I, I, it seems to me this is the first season in ever really, that he's enjoying that challenge. Right. He's embracing it. And he's understanding that in order to do well on the clay, you've got to take it all in your stride and you've got to put up with it and get on with it. And that's what the great clay yeah. court players have been able to do over time, none better than Nadal. Right. And yet for the first time this season, I'm seeing him do that. So that bodes well.
1: Came in riding high. So that helps with that huge hard court win streak that he came in. But also, yeah, I mean, he's embracing it. He's also match tough. I mean, regardless of what happens, we know it's a fight, it's a tough one. He's as tough as anyone with uh, how well he plays. So, have one to watch as well. Jason Goodall, I do want to switch to the women's side of things, where it's not smooth sailing for Iga Swiatek last year, and she's as utterly dominant as any woman has been on the clay in recent memory. But. She's getting. She's kind of flanked on both sides here. She's got Sabalenka. Rabakina beat her again, unfortunately. She did have to retire in the third set there. But there's some tension at the top, and we hope Iga's healthy. But we might start to see some rivalries here in the women's game.
2: Even prior to the injury that she sustained against uh, Rabakina, it's been a difficult season. And everybody expected that off the, the back of such a phenomenal year last year yeah. where she embraced the change, became the, the dominant player on the tour, and, and had so much success it was always going to be difficult to replicate that. So much depended on the mindset. Yeah, How was she going to embrace the challenge of having all of those points to defend of, of every match that she loses becoming a headline? Mm. And she said she struggled with that early in the season. We could see it. it was in tears in the United Cup. Uh, she didn't really compete or make any changes in her loss at the Australian Open to Urbacana, losing in straight sets, be- well beaten by her again. It was in Indian Wells. Right. And, and so... Suddenly in the locker room, other players, are, it's twofold, isn't it? You don't have as much confidence, and then suddenly the other players in the locker room are going, oh, hang on a minute. You know, she's not as tough or as unbeatable, perhaps, as she was last season. So, you know, maybe I'm in with a shout. Might be an outside shout, but I'm still in with one. Yeah. So the big hitters like Sabalenka, like uh, Rybakina, they on a hard court, they can definitely go through her yeah. and counter the spin nicely. They can serve big, which is crucial, dictate play. Much harder to do on a clay court. Easier At altitude, as Sabalenka found, she's made such strides this season, moving so much better, so much more consistent under pressure, not panicking. And again, somebody who's enjoying the challenge of trying to beat the best players in the world instead of getting frustrated with her inability to beat the best players in the world. And for Rybakina, it's a learning process on the clay, but she played a really good second set against Iger yesterday. And, yeah, we do hope that it's just a little bit of a niggly injury yep. and that she stopped because she didn't want to make it any worse. She's got yeah. plenty of time to get fully fit for Paris. And if she does and if she is, you know, she is a big, big favorite.
1: You know, with Rebecca, it's, it's refreshing to see just how in the moment she is. Like she doesn't get too high or too low, We know, it with the reactions or lack thereof. For Iga, and, and talk about favorites, she's still an overwhelming favorite in the French Open. I think a lot of that is, with what you said, with some of the vulnerabilities on and off the court, you still ask the question, who can beat her and what does it take to beat her? And for everything you said about Sablank and Bakken, it feels like that's the list. Like, it's a big-hitting player who's matched tough, who's able to stay in the fight and stay in the moment. I don't know if the list goes beyond those two. And that's why with Iga, you still consider her chances glorious to win another French Open.
2: Yeah, and I guess you look at players maybe like Ostapenko, don't that's, you? That's, that's yeah. Again, who can, you know, fire off both wings that seemingly doesn't care who's on the other you side. You don't know what net. to expect when no, she's out and, there. And she seems like she feels she should beat anybody mm-hmm. on any given day. And she's always surprised when she <laughs> plays poorly and loses, even though she does that, you know, yeah. regularly on the tour, yeah. so many highs and lows yeah. throughout matches, let alone events and seasons but former champion is what it takes and she has the ability and the attitude if she hits a red hot streak for a couple of Mm -hmm. hours then you know perhaps she can cause an upset as well but I I think you're right I think it's Svyantek then a gap then Sabalenka because she's improved the quality of her serving the quality of her movements and improved her attitude Mm -hmm. competitive instincts you know so so much better than she was 12 months ago. and then there's a gap and then it's, you know, Rebakina, but on the clay, that gap is still a lot bigger mm-hmm. because she doesn't move particularly For well. Sure. You can break down that forehand. And then there's maybe a couple of others. If Krachikova was fully fit, she's beaten Svyontek the last two times that yeah. they've played, so she's caused her trouble. And Jabor is
1: not fit either, which is another one. No. Yeah. So,
2: so you've got a couple of players that, yeah. you know, perhaps you could throw in the mix, but they need to regain full fitness first. Yeah.
1: Two things with Iga that do stand out that don't get talked about her moving on the clay, how she slides into her shots. Virtuoso and her mind too, because we've seen it. We saw in the French open against Coco last year. She knows what to target and when to do it. So again, big hitters, take that away from you. But this women's event too, we're gonna have her back in a play Ostapenko. Kalanina versus Matova. Not the final four anybody would have predicted.
2: No, and it was nice to see Sophia Kennan get the win over Sabalenka, wasn't it? So she's somebody else who was a finalist, Roland Gars, I think back in 2020. Everybody remembers her winning the Australian Open, but often forgets that she played so well on the clay and can play well. Had a good win over Serena Williams prior to that, which was one of the first times that she kind of shot to prominence. So she's somebody that feels very comfortable on the clay and nice to see her back. It was a surprise, though. It was a poor performance from Sabalenka. But again, in these back-to-back events, when you go deep, it's tiring to make the quick change. Even though you've got a couple of days off, it's very different conditions coming from a little bit of altitude in Madrid, slippery courts, quick conditions to you know the slow, heavy conditions yeah. that the players have had to deal with in Rome. And uh, everybody gets a little tired. She's played a lot of tennis this season. Yeah. So again, as long as you use that break wisely, you know, recover, take time off. Uh, yeah. She'll be fresh as a daisy going into Paris and... I have her as the second favorite by quite some margin.
1: Yeah. I also would uh, would point out the fact that Paul Bedosa's had a nice run to get back, former top three player, getting back to the mix there. But, yeah, if we get Sabalenka and Iga, and that has all the ingredients of a rivalry. There's a little chill in the air. The styles complement each other. The stakes, if they were to meet in a French Open final, hypothetically, of course, Iga going for a third French Open title, the utter dominance on the clay, Sabalenka going for her second two-for-two two majors in the year. I mean, that match in Madrid was special. And if we get another go-round for a major final, it could be even bigger.
2: The quality of tennis was outstanding, wasn't it? From from first ball to last yeah. in Madrid. So we all want more of that. We all want somebody to step up and challenge Eager to develop that kind of rivalry. Uh, everybody talks about the fact that, you know, conditions can be a lot slow in Paris. But let's not forget they can quicken up considerably as well. It can get really hot there. And you play that final in the afternoon... And the conditions can be quick. That ball can ping around that course. Yeah. So there's no doubt that if Sabalenka gets the right conditions, she can feel that she can do some serious damage there. The pressure right. will be on Svientes, and it's such a nice contrast in styles. Yeah. So so that's what you also want in great rivalries: different personalities, yeah. different styles of tennis. And there's certainly that. Yeah. And so let's have them playing more often. In these bigger events.
1: Well, it's what Rafa Nadal, her idol, Iga's idol, said was it was all process-oriented. What's kept him in the game and dominating for so long is that he always focused on the process of being a tennis player and what goes into it. So hopefully Iga can do that. Uh, Jason Goodall, this was a blast talking tennis with you. I know you're going to be traveling to RG, and I know, you know, in case there's any announcements... Like the Nadal Djokovic match, you can listen to Jim for his French, Jim Courier, so. <laughs> definitely. Uh, but no, it's a pleasure having you on here. Always a blast, and uh, looking forward to you calling some epic matches on TC. So can't wait to hear it. Thanks so much. It was a huge pleasure to talk to Jason Goodall, as one of the best in the business, not just tennis, in any business, calling sports live. A pleasure to talk to Jason Goodall and gives me some research to learn some of the British phrases. So I'll have to start studying up, but thanks to Jason Goodall. And now we switch gears and talk to Michelle McMahon, a new TC broadcaster who started in the last couple months, but was making an impact on our coverage for the better. Michelle went to Michigan, was a volleyball player there at the D1 level, worked her way up. Big 10 network, NHL network, works for the Dallas Stars, Pickleball. She does a little bit of everything and is a new tennis broadcaster here. This is a fun discussion, because we talk about her journey, her approach, her life outlook, very positive. And you can learn a lot from listening to Michelle talk and tell her story and the lessons she learned. So here's Michelle McMahon now on Tennis Channel Inside In. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. a special guest this week. I'm going to try not to get winded reading the introduction here, so bear with me. A sportscaster for over a decade now. You've seen her working for Pickleball. You've seen her with the Dallas Stars, with the Texas Rangers, Bally Sports, <laughs> uh, played volleyball for Michigan, and was a three-time academic All-Big Ten selection. Michelle McMahon, welcome to the podcast.
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be on with you guys.
1: Yeah, I had to do my research for this. You're kind of hard to figure out info on, so it was a little <laughs> difficult, but... Let's start with this, because I know you started um, Tennis Channel. I think there was like a day or two a couple months ago, and then you were on the road traveling for Charleston. Yes. So this is your first like real week and like grinding week of like doing the early hours, crazy European hours, the whole building, the operation. So what do you just think of... You know, this place, the spectacle, the operations, and your first real week on the grind here.
3: Um, it's been amazing. I mean, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. Just the last March was a little bit crazy because I was floating between hockey and pickleball and tennis and then pickleball slam, which included tennis Hall of Famers in pickleball. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of floating around, but it's been really um, amazing. I, I'm very excited to be on the tennis side of things as well. Um, the Charleston Open was first class. I mean... Mm-hmm. I was just texting my friends and family. I'm like, okay, I have found my niche. (laughs) They treat people so well. It's really amazing. That's
1: a spoiled one to have Uh, to start out with. So
3: I probably got spoiled (laughs) on the first one. And then, yeah, the 2 a.m. wake up call for, for this Rome event is, um, is definitely a new thing for me, but I'm finding my rhythm 7 p.m. Bedtime. I'm not opposed (laughs) to it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. No, it's been great.
1: The, uh, the opportunities here have been like amazing. Like you, I think the people, Thing that people don't realize even from professionals in sports like yourself is just how much tennis there is how many matches and just how you know every day it's a full slate of action like you you're in here early they went yesterday to like three or four o'clock on the west coast that's yes. like a 16 17 hour day of tennis
3: yeah and, and and the to your point the the amount of unknowns coming into the day because you have inclement weather conditions mm. potentially you never know which you have an idea of which match you're going to be covering but then it could also be the other millions of matches that are happening that day so there is a lot of back and forth but i think that's what makes the sport so great and tennis channel so great is you can really keep track of all of it which is awesome i think from a Mm -hmm. fan standpoint too
1: so let's go back to your story here now from what i gather grand rapids michigan uh uh, like almost the run of the litter like five out of six (laughs) children And was it sports all the time? Because by what I have, it, you said you played like seven sports or so growing up? Yep. Like it was just nonstop. I was,
3: yeah, I was a bit of a tomboy. So I always joke around. I'm the third of, so the second middle and um, four siblings total. So I'm the youngest middle, okay. only one with red hair. <laughs> and my brother is the oldest of the group and the only boy. So I always joke that I was the like younger brother that he never had. <laughs> so never, yeah. I should, I guess, give my uh, my sports career credit to him because he was the one that first bowled me early on to play with the boys and, right. and you know, put me in my place in that way. But yeah, I grew up playing soccer was my first love um, and played soccer with the boys for many years, then picked up volleyball, which ended, take, mm. ended up taking me the furthest at yeah. University of Michigan, and then um, picked up tennis, ironically, in high school, my high school tennis coach, still the best coach that I've ever had, which is why the sport of tennis has mm-hmm. such a close close place in my heart. Um, picked me up based off of my badminton and pickleball skills in gym class. So he was like, you need to be on my tennis team. And I was like, that's funny. Never touched a tennis racket. I'm terrible. No. And he was like, I will make you into a state champion. If you come train with me for a summer, I was like, okay, the joke will be on you, but like challenge accepted. (laughs) Um, and so, anyways, yeah, it, he trained. I was a b- much better doubles player than I was a singles player. I my ground strokes were terrible. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start training with Tracy Austin here to get some tips on that. No, I'm just kidding. That's probably be pretty good. That's a joke. Tracy doesn't know that yet. I haven't asked her, but no, I shouldn't start training that. But anyways, he did train me into a state champion eventually, my junior and senior year. Wow. Um, yeah, and I played basketball, but I was I was okay. I was just too aggressive. <laughs> they were like, you know, I fouled out every game. My mom was like, Jesus, Michelle. Um, <laughs> I, I, that was my soccer background. I'm like, why are you calling a reach in foul? Isn't the point to get the basketball? Um, and then now I, would, I would say my strongest sport is pickleball, although I'm seeing all uh. the speech volleyball right now in California and yeah. I'm inspired again.
1: Yeah, you go to the South Bay, you'll just be hooked, and it'll just be a deep end you won't get out of. That's where I'm at. Were you, like, consuming all sports, too, not just playing? Were you watching it? Were you reading sports papers, bonding with all of it?
3: Yes. Well, yeah, I was always – I just loved it. I (laughs) I think especially for girls growing up, it's such a – Whatever your niche is, so important to find something that makes you well-rounded other than school. Um, But for me, it was always around our family. All my siblings played sports, so I don't know how my parents did it with four of us, like (laughs) carting us around everywhere. But I grew up around it. I grew up watching it. It eventually obviously became my career as well. I didn't even know this was a career path at Michigan. I was kind of lost until my senior year Really, I didn't know what I wanted Mm. to do. And even my senior year, I'm like... I think that's what I want to do because that's pretty cool. (laughs) You get paid to talk about sports, like done. Um, But yeah, my dad's a huge sports fan. We grew up with NFL games on, um, tennis was on in our house. I mean, everything pretty much, especially, I mean, my interest in high school and tennis kind of got our family on the tennis train too. So So my little sister started playing after I did and then became a a family affair.
1: Who's the the best in your family? Do you think you can take your sister or is there somebody else in there?
3: Uh, Yeah, probably. I don't want to sound like a freaking like... (laughs) Yeah, I would say probably because like okay. every sport we play, like pickleball in the family or tennis, probably gets competitive. I mean, based it does. On it, my yeah. little sister probably has the best <laughs> best chance in tennis because she's actually trained longer than I did in yeah. high school. So maybe I'll give the tennis edge to her, but in pickleball, for sure me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, hey, at least you're honest. <laughs> Which about is it. quite a bragging point. <laughs> did. Like, How did volleyball come to be your number one sport? Was it just you found yourself the best at it? Did you just, was it love at first sight? What was it about volleyball yeah. that led to your college career?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. It's kind of funny. I, I still have a love for the sport. I think I had a yeah. genuine passion for it because yeah. I wasn't a scholarship athlete. I was a walk-on and mm. actually preferred walk-on so they technically invited me to play but it still didn't <laughs> i still yeah. didn't do it for the money right. which i look back on now i'm like now i have creaky knees for no reason no i'm just kidding um but volleyball for me it's just such a fun i don't know what it was that ultimately captivated me i i think it was like the the balance of the atmosphere that i love the team the team yeah. element the um the well-rounded nature of it. Like as in high school, believe it or not, middle school, I was a middle blocker, which is hilarious. I'm five foot four. <laughs> if you know volleyball, which many Californians do, I am not a middle blocker but I was like leading our team in blocks (laughs) that year in middle school then high school I got to play outside hitter and then of course in college I specialized to the back row so for me that was the most fun part playing in the front row being able to I loved the as much as I love defense I loved the offense action of it.
1: and being a legacy like you know you walked on at Michigan so like your dad I guess wrestled there your Uh mom was a cheerleader all this stuff and then you go there was it I'm either going to play here or I'm not going to play, because it sounds like, based on your background, you could have gone to a smaller school and gotten a scholarship.
3: That's a really, yeah, you did your homework. Good job.
1: Had to. I mean, um, you got to yeah, be prepared here. Yeah,
3: congrats. how um, do I say congrats. Sorry, but yeah. 2 a.m. brain, 2 forgive me. Um, But, yeah, for me, actually, ironically oh. enough, I think I swore off playing in college because one I didn't believe in myself that I could play division one I was the first kid from Grand Rapids to play Mm. Michigan volleyball at the time Um, so what we just didn't have a huge draw in Grand Rapids for big D1 time players so I played club at a high level and all my teammates wanted to play in college and I was like just kind of the supporting actress at that point but my club coaches fortunately because that shaped a lot of my path reached out to the Michigan volleyball coaches at the time and said, we have a girl on the team that I was committed. I just wanted to go to Michigan. Right. And I thought I just wanted to go there to be just a regular student. Here I am. I was like, <laughs> the joke was on me. Cause I think I was the only one on that club team that ended up actually playing division mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, so they offered me the walk on spot. And then I was at first I was kind of conflicted. Cause I was like, I feel like this opportunity is too big for yeah. me. And I don't know if I was like, I I think I was just like kind of had limited belief systems yeah. to break through. And uh, my mom made a good point. She's like, you can always stop if you hate it, but like, when is this opportunity going right. to surface again? And so, yeah, I I kind of took that opportunity and made the most of it. It was challenging. I will say the hardest four years of my life, probably mm-hmm. just, I, I think it's given me this lens in athletics of how I can relate to athletes, mm-hmm. especially in a sport like tennis, where it's all on you and volleyball is not that way, but I can relate to the mental side of mm-hmm. athletics. I had a journey with mental health of my own and just kind of working my way out mm-hmm. of some tough times. It's, it's a lot of pressure, yeah, and yeah. we don't we don't think about that uh, at such a young age. So, um, yeah, that was, that was it for me.
1: Well, we're roughly the same age, and I just bring this up because when I was in college, I was going to school in St. Louis, and we had a, a volleyball team that was ranked on the outside of the top 25. And we hosted a showcase. I didn't know much about Mm -hmm. volleyball. And uh, one of the teams in our basketball arena that came to play was Penn State.
3: Oh, my gosh. This was like 2010,
1: 2011 Penn State. And I could not believe just athleticism, size, everything, just how dominant they were. I think they won a couple national titles in that run.
3: It's crazy. (laughs) I mean, if you haven't had a chance to watch women's volleyball, it's pretty unbelievable. And especially now, like, it's only gotten better. Like, I Mm -hmm. still sometimes do um, volleyball analyst work. Mm -hmm. That was actually my entry point Mm -hmm. to broadcasting was volleyball um, and the level at which these girls play, it's unbelievable. And it's only gotten better. I, it's the national championship every year is like, it could be professional level. I mean, it's so good.
1: So how did, how did you balance? Cause I don't think a lot of people outside of, I mean, sports fans might get this, but unless you were really an athlete at a high level and especially a collegiate one, you don't understand the balance that goes into yeah. it. So you mentioned not knowing what you wanted to do till your senior year, but you still had school. You had a D one commitment. Mm-hmm. How was that balance? Like, I know it can be strenuous mentally and also physically to just have the time in the day to get yeah. everything
3: done. Oh, I know. That's a really good question. It brings me back to those years of why it was the hardest four years, because you're stretched in mm-hmm. every possible direction, emotionally, mentally, physically. Like You're exhausted. And then on top of that, you also have to balance school. And and for me, I took a lot of pride in school, as you said in my yeah. intro, I, because that was something that I felt really confident about because I wasn't the best on the team But I always did really well in school. So for me, that was always a priority. But it became really, really tough, especially in the spring season where we're lifting weights at Mm. four or five in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then practicing on top of that. And then it's just – it's a lot. So – I it had to learn that. You, It teaches you discipline
1: too. Because even like this it job does. or stuff you have to do, if you're an athlete, like it's not a direct oh, yeah. translation, but you know what it's like to have to get up in the morning yes. to do stuff and to take commands.
3: Mm-hmm. And to do things that you don't want to do, but you know are going to make you better for it in the long run. But it was a lot. It was a lot to balance mm-hmm. in the sleep component for me. Mm-hmm. I actually feel healthier now than I did mm-hmm. in my college <laughs> athlete years just because I feel like I'm more well balanced. Yeah. And at that time, I don't think I was. Um, but I think the key to me was taking care of my mental health first. And once Greg Harden, I talk about him a lot. Yeah. He's actually coming out with a book this, oh, yeah. uh, this fall. He's on um, the sheet by the way. He is yeah, amazing. I yeah. I, um, he's got a book coming out that I'm, I've, You get a chance to pre-order it. You should. He's incredible. So so
1: you credit him for being, you know, very influential. And I know you were a nice tribute when he retired, but you know, I, I first found out about him through Tom Brady, obviously and stuff on that, but he's worked with, he's been like, you know, the godfather for all these Michigan athletes. And the line that struck me, and you could probably speak, you definitely speak more Uh to this, is that control the controllables. Yes. So I think that kind of advice, I mean, college is overwhelming for people that quite frankly aren't really ready yet to deal with the struggles of being an adult.
3: No, and especially too, I I think a component for me was like, not to be like braggy or whatever, but you're obviously used to being at the best where you were in high school and then you Mm -hmm. come into this next level. And I'm sure a lot of the pros Mm -hmm. experience this too at the next, next level, where you're like, oh God, I'm not only not (laughs) the best, but I'm the worst. And Mm I'm like... You lose yourself because a lot of our identity gets trapped in this sport Mm -hmm. uh, side of things. So I think that's where Greg helped separate and compartmentalize my life of, like, your volleyball career does not define you, Michelle. You know, guess what? This is just a stepping stone to get to the places where you want Mm -hmm. to be. So he, at a very formidable age, was able to reshape... um, you know, how I was able to handle certain challenges and it wasn't easy. There were a lot of moments too, where I felt like quitting. Like it was, it wasn't easy. The, the I had some challenges with yeah. the, um, with some of the leadership at the time of the, Mm -hmm. of the program of just the way they treated some of us and walk ons. I'm like, I've always felt like kind of like a second class citizen in Mm -hmm. in my role. And I I had to mentally combat myself to, to like not let that Mm -hmm. define my worthiness as a person. Um, And also then balance the stress of school and what I want to do and who I am. Like he really helped me understand myself better than anyone else. And that's what he told me when I walked into his office the first day. And I think Mm -hmm. Desmond Howard would tell you the same thing. Tom Brady would tell you the same thing. He's tough love. He doesn't just sit there and coddle you and hold your hand and, you yep. know, it, but it's in a way that's so loving, like, cause he helps you see yourself more clearly. And he doesn't yeah. let you be a, he doesn't let you be a victim of your own, of the stuff that sucks that's right. going on in your life at the time. And maybe you are being mm-hmm. quote unquote victimized in a certain situation, yeah. but he helps you reframe that and gives you a more empowering stance. And mm-hmm. to me, that's what I've taken forward in my life. And he's by far and away been the most pivotal person. And I would say in many ways saved my life because I was down. Wow. I was not in, a, I was not on a good trajectory after my freshman year. It was not good.
1: Yeah. I, I've heard him speak and just say like, we want you to be an expert on yourself. Like we want you to understand mm-hmm. everything that's going on. And, and that's tough love. It's great. I, I hope, you know, that he's retiring now. I hope there's more of that still. Cause oh, yeah. I feel like I, I don't want to be the older guy talking, but I think that is needed in society to be tough to people like, look, this is it. This is how you can change. Mm -hmm. Do what you have to do and and kind of get out of your own way in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah, it was a daily reminder for me. I mean, I would check in with him weekly, sometimes Mm -hmm. daily, depending on what I needed. I think his Mm -hmm. book is called How to Stay Sane in an Insane World, which is so true. And Greg's been through a lot in his life, which... He doesn't often talk about the the challenges that he's been through that's been able to shape him to this person. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a constant reminder of, okay, can we control that? No? All right. Then let's Mm -hmm. focus on your attitude and your mindset because those are the two things you can control when you really break down life in its essence. Life is tough for all of us in many different ways. And um, that's why I think a lot of grace is to be afforded to all of us but also to yourself most importantly because – um, if you get your attitude right and your mindset right, those are the only two things in yeah. life that you can often control. You can't control the challenges. Yeah. You can't control how people see <laughs> you. You can't control how p- treat people treat you, which is the thing that I had to learn mm-hmm. of why are they being <laughs> nice to me? Yeah. I'm not a bad person. Just be uh-huh. nice. Um, and that's something I still, you know, we all battle. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, that's a huge part of adulting. And I remember him saying that when I first walked in of like the little the inner child in you needs to grow mm-hmm. up and I was like me me they <laughs> know, I'm just like a mess Yeah, and it was true and um yeah he's the best I love Greg
1: Michelle McMahon here on tennis channel inside and in. uh, I do want to ask also because I forgot to mention this early where did that Mish nickname come
3: from good question <laughs> I think it was college I want to say maybe I came up with it college. I, okay I think I, it was college it just, No, no no sorry it was high school okay I mean, my college friends call me Ginge, which I don't know if it's a derogatory term. I'm like, Ginger is hilarious from the South Park episode. I don't know. Cancel culture nowadays. I am a Ginger, so technically, I don't know if I get trouble (laughs) for it. But my friends in college, like, they forgot what my first name was. They only called me Ginge, the Ginger. And then Mish was more of like a professional nickname. outside. But a lot of them, it was a combination. You either call me Mish or Ginger. Okay. Um, or ginge in college and then it was 100% mish after college i would say because my college <laughs> athlete friends like weren't around in my professional life so okay. they that's good to yeah, know though that's, that's i'm trying to think where else it's an be?
1: interesting nickname though i Is think it? It, it stands out a little bit you yeah, know i guess so. you're right and i know you've been endearing it. to me i, I like yeah. me. <laughs> um so was it at you know that senior year at Michigan when you decided okay I want to be a sports broadcaster like being at Michigan I'm sure helped the fact that not only were you an athlete there but you're at a program at a school that has so many athletic programs to cover get your foot in the door what was that process like yeah. of starting to get your feet wet in terms of becoming a broadcaster
3: Yeah really good question and as as much as you would think that Michigan would be a good like leg up to get to that point mm-hmm. which I I know my my credibility was there because mm. I played volleyball at Michigan However, I actually did my own networking to afford my yeah. own opportunities, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. You would think as an athlete, you'd have more of a, and I just don't think they had the proper connections at the time with yeah. the, now the athletic department has done so much to mm-hmm. create those bridges for kids mm-hmm. of like, you should meet Michelle McMahon, former right. athlete that's now doing it. And I also had a former volleyball teammate, Megan Bauer at the time, who was doing Big Ten Network. So I, she was my expander Ooh. of like, oh, I saw that it was possible. Yeah. And then... Um, I guess to to summarize, like I didn't fully know what I wanted to do. Going to a 9-to-5 just sounded pretty awful, and I'm not cut out for a 9-to-5, which I learned, but I had to work a couple of those to get to where I wanted Mm to be. Um, So there was no major for journalism at Michigan. Um, So therefore, you had to get your experience through internships or through um, covering the college sports through the BTN Student U, Big Ten Network Student U program there, which at the time I couldn't, do because I was competing while all the yeah. other students could get their experience. So right. it really was an interesting journey. I, I'm completely untrained, officially untrained. <laughs> welcome, to <laughs> yeah. so welcome to the club. What's
1: that? Welcome to the club.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you, I mean, a lot of that is about being an athlete. You learn, yeah. you get coached. I get feedback a lot here mm-hmm. of just how to get better because I'm still learning. And yeah. I I think when I reach a point where I'm like, I, I've got it all figured out, I yeah. think I'll probably be pretty bored. <laughs> so um, that was a challenge. So I majored in communications and Spanish. And then, um, from there I was like, well, how the heck am I going to get experiences? I was, and nobody would hire you yeah. at the network level. I mean, of course not at the network level, even at the regional level of like, you don't have enough experience We mm-hmm. you need to, you need to get experience. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get experience? All the other students are getting all the reps because they're working the games that I can't work. So yeah. it was a challenge. So I did an internship, um, a couple of summers. I realized there, I did not want to go to news and I did not want to do, move to the middle of nowhere, and work my way up. That was not going to be my journey. And right. if I wasn't cut out for this, I would learn sooner than later anyways. Mm-hmm. And so I actually randomly, d- divide intervention, call it what you <laughs> will, I met one of the producers um, from Big Ten Network, Lamont, randomly in Chicago, just out and about. I can't remember. I was there for something. And I just happened to cross paths with him. And he was like, do you want to do a tour of the network? So this was wild because I'm like. And how old you? were you then? I was still, I was a senior in college. Okay. So I would have been, what, 21?
1: 21, wow. 21.
3: And so it didn't, it didn't stop there. I just, he kind of introduced me to the right people and was like, you should just reach out to them, tell them you want to be a volleyball analyst. Cause that was the one thing I could reach for. Cause I'm like, yeah. okay, well I don't have the broadcast side, but I do mm-hmm. have the volleyball knowledge. So mm-hmm. like, how do we bridge the uh, gap? So then um, they actually, they had already hired somebody for the role. Yeah. So they told me like, sorry, they invited me to audition, but they also told me like, sorry, mm-hmm. we already hired somebody for that. And I was like, Oh, that sucks. But I like, I remember hanging up the phone that day with my one of my friends now but he was my boss at the time and he was like sorry like maybe check in with us next year kind of thing and i was like so defeated and i will never forget i was in my bedroom and i like was about to start crying because i'm like there was my opportunity (laughs) and it's gone and i called him back and i was like can i just come in for an audition because if i suck at this and i'm no good Mm -hmm. i'd rather find out now and save myself the time and the heartbreak of building this dream that's not fully there and if you see my potential then maybe you'll want to work with me. I'm about to knock my water over. (laughs) Sure enough, I drove five hours from a family vacation to um, audition. um, And then a small opening created. They had a weekly women's sports report. Very small role. Not a lot of money, but it was my inn um, in Chicago. And um, so I worked that weekly sports report for the months of October and November, talking women's volleyball in my five-minute segment on the show. (laughs) And then that's what really, like, inspired me of like, okay, like I do really want to do this. And how do I get from women's volleyball to sideline football and didn't even know at the time that I wanted to do play by play because there wasn't a lot of female voices Mm -hmm. in that space. So I didn't know what to reach for at that point. So I was just looking at all the roles I could possibly, possibly do. And, um, hockey is what ended up taking me the furthest. I was pretty crafty back in my day. So I, I, um, I worked a full-time job. So I got the big 10 network job and I'm like, cool. Like, Mm, how am I going to make this work? Like $500 for yeah, a Yeah, so ball. That, that's the part of like, the story
1: that, I mean, it's inspiring yeah. that you went from, you know, getting a job and working through networking and divine intervention, as you said, at the Big Ten Network, but then you make it, it's like, okay, now I have to grind because yes. now you got to make a living and now right. you got to keep working up. <laughs> yeah. So then it becomes you're working, and I guess Tennis Channel is another example uh-huh. of this. You're still constantly looking for more opportunities mm-hmm. even when you have one.
3: Absolutely. And so I was like, how am I going to survive? Like you can't live in Chicago off of like not even $500 a month. Like how do you, how do you make this work? So I, um, I became a, this is hilarious. This part of my journey is so funny. (laughs) I was, um, selling freight to truck drivers I worked for a logistics company in Chicago. That was my nine to five or seven to five, whatever you want to call it. They wouldn't let me move from the the truck driver side to the customer side, the classier side, yeah. quote unquote, because the truck drivers loved the sound of my voice. LOL. Uh. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, anyway, so I did that for a year and then I was like, oh, I just really, I don't know. this is, I don't I don't want to do that, but I was building up my, my broadcasting resume on the side. So I would Correct. do, you know, whatever I could. I was doing play by play for her women's volleyball mm-hmm. at, high, at high school level. Mm-hmm. And I think I did some tennis back in that day. Um, and then kind of, Took a leap of faith. No, sorry. I worked one more sales job in between. I did medical device sales. Okay. Switched from that job to uh, managing the Midwest territory. I was at age 24 years old. They hired me to manage the Midwest (laughs) territory. Selling... Medical equipment to neurosurgeons. But you
1: knew what you, you knew where the end goal was. You were like, at this point, you're, yes. you are want to be a sports. Yes, well,
3: at this point, I'm like, this would be the job in theory that would yeah. steal my path. I just had such a passion for sports and broadcasting, sports. and like, want I knew I could do it, and I knew that like I could see the other people getting hired in roles where I'm like, but I've played sports at a higher level than they have, and you've like- got
1: the experience by this point to where you can see yourself doing the job because that's yeah. the part that people yes. don't. Really I had enough understand. potential. It gives you your confidence when you see people, when you see yourself do it for a little yeah. bit, because you can have all the confidence and belief mm-hmm. in yourself in the world, but until you actually do it, totally. it, it doesn't really register.
3: Totally. And I think that I started to get a lot of confidence from my bosses at Big Ten Network, who were like, "Okay, you you could you could do this. Like, you yeah. you've got the potential." They would coach me up and send me on my way. Still not getting the opportunities I wanted. I was still very much pigeonholed at Big Ten Network as a volleyball mm-hmm. analyst, mm-hmm. and I was very clear to them, like bulldozing doors i'm like please like mm-hmm. just give me a chance and social media roles this and that so i ended up actually pitching to them a digital hockey show which mm. at the time digital was not big so i was like it's low risk to you i'll do all the work for it i'll cut the highlight i mean because i was also doing production assistant stuff so i was back in the bullpen cutting highlights yeah. and do, logging football games and doing all that stuff all while working a full-time job so i would go in there on saturdays um and do that and then Eventually, I stopped my medical device sales because they gave me a fork in the road, and they were like, okay, we, you can't keep doing broadcasting, so you, we need you to commit to this Midwest territory full-time. We need your full attention. We can't have you leaving on a random Wednesday to do a volleyball game. And to me, I'm like, but I'm in sales. Wouldn't that look good for your company? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, why don't you want me on TV? And they were like, because you can't, you're the Midwest manager. Just give me
1: like a shirt with your company. I know.
3: And I was like, but can't we make them both work? It wasn't that big of a commitment, but they, they needed me to be in Ohio on random weekends or Indiana or Kentucky or whatever. So I was like, okay. So I took a leap of faith. I called my mom and dad I was like, all right guys, like this is the time where I felt like I had enough confidence to at least make it work. I was, I, I hustled. I put like four different jobs together, but anyways, I quit that job. I Mm -hmm. made the choice. I'm like, I, I can't, it's, it's yeah. soul sucking to be wandering. No offense to anyone that works in the hospital settings. Like, thank you for my yeah. work. It was soul sucking for me just to try and sell something that I felt would, would bring value to people. You I would think a, I would, you had but,
1: another passion. I think that's yeah, the thing. Like you yeah. knew, you knew that there was what you wanted to do, but getting there, especially in this industry, was yeah. hard. But the digital side know. was huge. I mean, that's well, where the timing is everything. And from there, it just kind of it kind of took off. And I know you've worked for all these different networks, but the one thing I wanted to bring up right now was. Mm-hmm pickleball you said you discovered back in like oh six uh-huh i mean i'm from the midwest too i had Uh no idea like really (laughs) like i had no idea gym teacher dave
3: sukup who's an absolute legend in west michigan he's in the west michigan hall of fame i think um for he's this guy has won a gazillion state championships he has such an ability to take athletes and train them into it's unbelievable to me I, i can't even i thank him for all of my my passion for tennis but um, he's the one that introduced us in 2006. We played with wooden paddles on a gym floor. It okay. was nowhere near what the sport is now. Well, that gives it you so such fun. a it
1: gives you such a leg up for the broadcasting thing because oh, this totally. has exploded in the last year or two like mm-hmm. no other. And very few people have your origin story of I've known this game. <laughs>
3: yeah. like, I,
1: you <laughs> I know, even a, true, even right? a basic knowledge. Like honestly, I'm like
3: listen, guys, uh, this has been <laughs> yeah. around for me since 2006. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty funny, and it was also based on badminton yeah. too because, well we did badminton and then i think it was like badminton season and then after 2 weeks we'd switch to yeah. pickleball and i was always like the sweaty girl in gym class with like a <laughs> sweatband like playing on the king of the court with the boys and i took so much pride in beating the boys it's just kind of funny but.
1: in in terms of like other sports though mm-hmm. how are you able to i guess prep and learn i mean obviously with hockey and tennis yeah. now hockey i'm a huge fan and your work on the stars is probably where i first heard of you but mm-hmm. the fact that you're covering sports now that aren't volleyball. You're stepping outside yeah. your comfort zone. What was the prep like of trying to just get familiar?
3: Yeah. Um, well, the good news about hockey is I, I grew up around that in my home, mm-hmm. which I forgot to mention. Um, big Red Wings, Blackhawks fan. My dad's from Chicago, They're so both? he's a black. I know. I was conflicted. Everyone's like, which fan which one yeah. did you? I'm like, Well, okay. I grew up watching the Blackhawks, but my first NHL game was yeah. the Red Wings and it was okay. so close to Michigan and one of my good friends got drafted or didn't get drafted there. He played there for a couple of years, so I was like I felt like an allegiance on both sides, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think for me it's like also knowing my lane of like, I didn't play hockey at the highest level, so I will yeah. never know it as intimately yeah. as freaking Sidney Crosby or any of these guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like my lane is not to be, uh, you know, speaking in places where I shouldn't be of, mm-hmm. as if I'm out on the ice and playing a sport. Cause I don't, I don't feel like I have a place for that. What I am there to do is to bring color and light to the players And the storylines. Of course, you have to know the sport in and out. I mean, you do have to do your preparation there. For me, it's kind of like second nature because you just grow up it. And sports, to me, are somewhat universal. Like, playing a sport at a high level, for me, makes the transition process very easy, I guess, easier. um, To jump into new sports and just... Because it's the same as... As being an athlete, you pick it up and you might not be perfect to start, but that's where you, you're coachable, you learn quickly, you learn on the fly, you're able to calibrate and Mm -hmm. make changes like a lot quicker maybe than an average human. But, um, volleyball is obviously easiest because (laughs) I came from it, but hockey was definitely like, I talked to all my friends that played and uh, you yeah. know, specified things like the forecheck and the backcheck. Like what yeah. can you explain situations to me of right. like, okay, when you're in this formation, why are you doing X, Y, Z, keeping them to the perimeter? What does that mean? You know, asking questions that might sound dumb mm-hmm. at, the, at the start, um, I think are really important. But at the college level, I was already gleaning that insight because yeah. I was actively participating with my friends who were playing on the team. And then um, obviously doing the, the hockey reports, you have to be up to speed yeah. on all these Team so it's just a lot of it's a, that's what Michigan gave me I think my degree yeah. I don't I don't use my communications degree right. I don't use my spanish degree but what I do use is that research and preparation ability to regurgitate information okay. to learn quickly to, um, study to all that stuff. So yeah, it is. And yeah,
1: it could be a Spanish broadcast in here somewhere with that <laughs> minor in Spanish. I need to brush up. I'm,
3: <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I went to Costa Rica and my friend was there with me and he was like, "Guy, you wouldn't even know that <laughs> <No>. you <laughs> I majored in it. So I'm embarrassed to say that, but I think it would come back quick. I just didn't use it for 10 years. So,
1: how did the tennis opportunity come up and was this something you saw yourself doing with the experience yeah. that you have and then ultimately just getting the chance to work in tennis?
3: Yeah, no, it was um, pretty recent that it came about, I would say like last year, like late last fall, um, Bob Wiley and I started having conversations because I really had, I guess through pickleball, discovered this new desire to do mm-hmm. play-by-play and also in a new ability because I again like didn't know that these kind of roles were accessible to me Mm -hmm. until I started to do them and pickleball was the perfect sport for me to step into in that role yeah and I had not done a ton of play-by-play prior to pickleball but once the pandemic hit I lost everything and so I had to start from scratch and I was like their broadcast needs help and I think I can help (laughs) them and then it became this huge sport and it exploded and it's funny because my agent at the time I felt like he didn't literally do this but I felt like I don't know. I felt like a lot of people laughed at me. Like when I was like, you guys pickleball is going to get big. Like I want to do more pickleball <laughs> as mm-hmm. I want to do. And it, because it was giving me the opportunity to do play by play. So yeah. once the PPA merged with tennis channel kind of became this joint opportunity for me yeah. to be able to merge both sports. And in, in talking with Bob about pickleball stuff, I, you know, mentioned to him too, that I, I, I was like, well, I played tennis too back in the day and I, I would love to be a part of your coverage there if you ever need anybody. And he was like, light bulb moment for him. He was yeah. like, hey, we'd, we'd love to have you. And I think obviously there's still a lot of growth for me to do on the tennis side and I'm um, always looking to improve on the pickleball side too. Um, but there's just so much to keep track of, yeah. to, to check in on. I mean, I, I, I watch daily now to immerse myself mm-hmm with all the knowledge and the history and, and the brought the amazing broadcasters you guys have here mm. that have been doing this forever <laughs> that have the yeah. historical nuggets in their back pocket. Like I'm still working. They like get up to that point. But I think, um, I think for, for Bob and Ross, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think they believe in my ability to learn and learn quickly yeah. and on the fly and by doing it. And, um, I'm very excited and grateful to be here cause it's been nothing short of amazing. And I love the people I'm working with and I'm, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> like I feel like I need to like I yeah. feel like I need like 90 more hours to prepare, mm. but that's life.
1: <laughs> I do, I do take for granted myself walking through the hallways and seeing this yes. these Grand Slam champions uh-huh. up and down. It's like, oh, there's Jim Curry or Tracy Austin or just whoever. casual. But yeah. with tennis, I feel like and you could speak to this, but you're leaning on your analysts more than yeah. maybe other sports. You're True. not saying yeah. as you much. Yeah. they there. like, yeah. I
3: remember the first time I came in here just to See if it would work out or not. They were like, Talk less. And I was like, Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So when you do talk, you wanna have something good to say or or like lead your analyst in a way. And I'm still learning the, the balance yeah. or the, the art of that, so to speak, of like, okay, where's my place here? Like, how do I where where right. does my analyst wanna go with this? And that's a lot of like preparation beforehand of like talking points they could get to at some point during yeah. the match. Um, and the historical elements that you can Dive in, but when there's a million matches happening in a day, keeping it all straight and juggling yeah. it, I'm like, I just can't wait for the day that this all becomes innate. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is and drop draw, yeah. draw bits of information out right. of my pocket for all different things. But
1: so, who are some of the tennis players that you're, I guess, captivated by now, and maybe even some historical ones when you were growing up?
3: Yeah, well, I think Tracy Austin would be top of the list. I mean, yeah. with with. I mean, working with her now, but then also just the ability that she had at such a young age, I think is remarkable. Yeah. I
1: talked to her about that once where I'm like, what was it like just going yeah. to school after you won the U S open? I know. <laughs> like well, we were going talking to high about school. after
3: one <laughs> our broadcast, she's like, man, it's my biggest regret not going to the French open instead of freaking going back to school. She, <laughs> she said her after. parents would have let her out, but she's like, just I just
1: Monday after the U S open. Yeah. I'm like, just
3: casual. In. And then I'm yeah. like, what, who went to Europe with you for months at a time when you were going through these? And she's like, oh, my mom went with me. I mean, it's just, she's so humble and casual about Mm -hmm. it. But it's really amazing, especially, too, looking back at um, all the accomplishments. I mean, Chris Everett on that list, too. Martina Navratilova. I mean, there's so many iconic. Lindsay Davenport, who I got to. I mean, they are, like, these big names that I'm, like, it's, like, rare air to be in. And then, let alone to, like, meet them in this capacity now on the, like, broadcast side is kind of, it's kind of ironic for me, but today's day and age, I mean, just going off of recent information, Coco Golf that covered her match this morning. Yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. Um, 19 years old, Iga, I mean, Arena Sabalenka. Yeah. There's so many...
1: It, it's such a dynamic game, and it's, it's tough on one hand because if you're someone like Coco, you get mm-hmm. a lot put on you at such a young age, but you really see, especially close up, just how dynamic these athletes totally. are. And I use the word athlete a lot because... They might be the most well-rounded athletes yes. in all of sports. Like yes. Just for what you're doing out there, how physical the game could be. And the women's game, especially, has gotten way more physical. I've been totally. at Tennis <laughs> Down for like six or seven years, and mm-hmm. there was always players like Serena and dominant players. But collectively, I think the game's gotten more physical. Yes,
3: totally. And I, w- I also came to mind uh, the Williams sisters, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Serena and Venus, that mm-hmm. was a, huge, a yeah. huge part of my upbringing of like you yeah. turn on the TV and – And they, I mean, during their prime too, then you have Federer, Djokovic. I mean, there's so many.
1: It's like the sports that thing that is universal that you were saying. The two things that stand out to me watching any sport is Uh just conditioning and footwork. Yeah. And I watch like someone like Carlos Alcaraz. Now, I mean, Novak Djokovic too at the top of the game, obviously. But it's like how these guys don't get tired. No. Alcaraz doesn't get tired. And his footwork is just phenomenal at such a young age. It's
3: unbelievable. It's really, it's so fun to watch. Like so fun to watch. And I think... Especially two at a time, where everyone was kind of like, "Well, who else is coming up?" <laughs> like we're losing, you know, Federer and Nadal on his way out. You know, it's just, um, it's incredible. It, it, that's the most fun part yeah. I mean, to me is like when you see these young, new, exciting like names pop up, not out of nowhere now for Alcaraz, but it's just like in recent years where you're like, "Who's the next person going to be?" and incomes you know the struggle and it's like yeah.
1: the the other guys the girls saying i'm not going to just give you this you're gonna have to take yeah, it yeah exactly. that's the best part for sure exactly uh, more with michelle mcmahon here on the tennis channel inside and In podcast before we wrap this up fine-tuning your skills like i know yeah. you said you're never a finished product how do you, I guess, criticize yourself? I know it could be uncomfortable yeah, listening, to listening to yourself talk or it. watching yourself on camera I know, even.
3: I hate that. both of those things. <laughs> yeah. I try not to now because I'm like, eh. I'm just trying not because there's yeah. a point where, wait, sorry, what was the question Did I cut you off?
1: Well, no, it's like, I guess just going off of that, like yeah. how do you critique yourself and improve while getting through the obstacle of having to watch yourself and and listen to yourself which can be uncomfortable
3: it can be and especially here too because i feel like at the play-by-play level it's like next level of detail of Mm -hmm. like you know when you come from sideline positioning there's its own fine tuning and once Mm -hmm. i feel like i've got a handle on that and now it's like bigger role play-by-play um bigger sports so it's like stepping into these different nuances Mm -hmm. I try to balance it. Like I, I do seek feedback and I mm-hmm. welcome feedback because feedback is a gift. And I always mm-hmm. have to remind myself that because there is a perfectionist that lives inside of me. That's yeah. I think we all deal with at some point. Like totally I don't understand. think if I ever watch a broadcast back, it would ever be good enough for me. But like you if do that have to sense.
1: catch yourself not yes. just being only okay with perfection. That's yeah. a, that's a big struggle that broadcasters have. You always want to get better. And I but, used to be stuck in that. I but think. you want to appreciate some things that were good.
3: Totally. Yeah. Well, and that's how I operate too. Like I need, a, I need. I've learned about myself that I'm like I need a l- a couple good mixed <laughs> in with the feedback yeah, just to make yeah. me feel like okay like I can latch onto these things while working on these mm-hmm. things and I think that's just my, how my psyche mm-hmm. works like but yeah it's tough I mean watching yourself back listening to yourself back is really yeah. key and I think you have a different t- sort of cadence and tonality when you're on air versus when you're just in conversations with people mm-hmm. I am fortunate that I have a whatever God given gift of a voice that just happens to <laughs> yep. sound good on TV sometimes. So yeah. based on of that, then you have people that hate yourself. And yeah. that's the other thing that it's so subjective that it's like, find your people that you trust. Right. I would say, and like lean on them for feedback. And I'm talking to the analyst too, you know, is there anything I can yeah. do better or different or whatever? Um, because I can watch myself back mm-hmm. a million times over and I'm yeah. still not going to catch the things that right. somebody that's been here for 20 years will, will catch. So Um, I think that's a big key. And then watching myself back, that's been a journey for me. (laughs) I like really like, not, I just really don't like why, because I will pick on like (laughs) everything. I'm like, oh my God, you have a double chin in that shot. Or like, (laughs) what are you, what are you making that face for? You know, yeah, yeah, like things like that, which I don't know if that's a woman thing or if that's a everybody thing, but that is something that that's been a journey for me. But now I, I don't over identify with Mm -hmm. my career as my identity same lessons I learned with Greg Harden. Yeah. Perfect button up opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I try not to over identify with this as who I am. I, yeah. it's an extension of me and it's certainly a big part of my life, but I don't ever want to be defined by it. And I also, my, my end goal is to do a really good job to the best of my ability right. and, um, be a good person, <laughs> treat right. people well. So at the end of the day, that's, mm-hmm. those are the things that really matter. And then the rest will generally speaking work itself out and Control yeah. what I can control. And that's yeah. my work ethic, my attitude, <laughs> and my mindset. And so I'm like, every day I come in, I still feel like I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, I could have used a million more hours to prep. <laughs> yeah. But I did my best. I did. I mm-hmm. did. I have enough. And yeah. I'm like, I'm enough. And so you have to have that base of confidence to just, yeah, you know.
1: Well, we're all vain. I mean, not just women. So I think we look at how we I appear know. on camera, tough. too. Some of these
3: camera angles, I'm like, can we just shoot down a little bit? Which, thank you for this one. Yeah, i <laughs>
1: had to. We, we, uh, we also, you know, I think a lot of us, myself included, take for granted the people in the industry that help us. So I know you're yes. kind of working your way up. Who are your, I guess, friends, influences, people you lean on professionally, to kind yeah. of get you through it, even if it's like fellow broadcasters.
3: Yeah, that's a really good. And I know I'm going to listen to this back and be like, "Oh no, I forgot so <laughs> yeah. many people." I this wish is I your had, Oscar speech. So I wish I had time it. to like yeah. reflect on all the people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my best friends in the industry, Kelly Nash, she works at MLB Network. Mm-hmm. Um, she was somebody from day one that always set a really good example of how to yeah. treat. Because uh, there can be cutthroat. There can be a lot of like jealousy mm-hmm. and and yeah. what I love about Tennis Channel is they really aren't about that. And they're it's yeah. a friendly work environment. Which I love and that's. That can yeah. be a rarity um so Kelly Nash, Lisa Byington is a huge huge role model in the play-by-play space. she's now play by play for the Milwaukee Bucks and I did for some I came up right underneath her at Big Ten network of like she was the person that was always ahead of me and doing all these mm-hmm. amazing things and not I don't say that in a competitive way I say that in a like oh, one day I would love to do that and yeah. she was always super helpful and then to see her do play- by play I'm like Oh, like I want to do that too. Like that that so I think yeah. tra- trailblay having trailblazers like that mm-hmm. in the industry is so key. Linda Cone. Oh yeah. Who lives in LA. I love OG. Linda. Um John Forslund, um who I work with now with the stars yeah. Josh Bogrod and Razor, great. Um John Norton my producer and director Mark Vittorio for Bally. Those guys are great. Um gosh, I yeah, Jason a lot. Walsh and Bally. Everybody, That's thank a lot. you. I yeah. know oh, John Forslin was a yeah. huge help when I first joined. Yeah. Um, when I first joined the hurricanes and then made it to the national mm-hmm. network, that was a big leap. Hockey community is just Hockey great. Hockey community. Yeah, they are. They're they, yes. Very helpful. For the most part. Not everybody, yeah, but for the true. most part. We won't say those names. <laughs> we won't say, we won't say the ones that'll, uh, yeah, do that, will, have, that uh, will live another day.
1: Do you have any, well, we can wrap with this. Do you have any last like uh, goals or places you're looking to go? I mean, it's, it's been over a decade, but they're still just, just popping off now at the broadcast. Yeah,
3: curve. no, thank you. Um. Hmm, honestly, like, My goal at this point is, like, I am very happy to have landed with such a good network. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even though it's a freelance capacity, but networks, I'll say, Mm -hmm. like, my people at Dallas treat me so well. Mm -hmm. The people here treat me so well. So for me, it's less and less nowadays about the, like, milestone achievements Mm -hmm. than it is about being able to have a good, balanced life and inner peace. (laughs) Okay. Well, World peace. Yeah, well, no, but I mean, I think, yeah, yeah I, 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 also accomplished a lot at a very young age. I got to cover a yeah. Stanley Cup when I was 26 years old. <laughs> I got to yeah. do a college pregame football yeah. show. I got to do a sideline football assignment at the Big House. That was a big one for me. So I've done a lot of really yeah. cool things. I again, like, and I'm not satisfied like with like yeah. with uh, not satisfied uh, content. I guess is the right mm-hmm. word. I'm not resting yeah. on my laurels. I still mm-hmm. think I have a lot to prove to myself here with this opportunity that I'm just trying to make the most of it and hopefully grow here um, with this network for many years. I really love it here. So,
1: well, we appreciate you coming on the show. We appreciate you yeah. being part of the team here. Uh, I know Dallas is where your home is now and just try to stay cool in the summer. <laughs> I, know. I was there in October. It was like 110 degrees outside. I won't outside. be there
3: much this summer. I'll actually yeah. hear more That'll, that'll be good. So, yes. I well,
1: appreciate you coming on. That's the last thing I had. I guess the only other thing would be what would be your favorite if you were going to sing karaoke to a Black Eyed Peas Ew. song. Like we did in high school
3: oh gosh um where is the love yeah probably the, I think I did that actually mm-hmm. I did a performance in middle school I hope it's not on YouTube or anything but no it
1: is and I looked it wasn't on there so <laughs> uh but no appreciate. is that why you asked that specifically yeah, yeah.
3: that's hilarious how did you find all this I, I gotta,
1: it's it's a tough research process that that's involves just Google <laughs> so uh appreciate you coming on Michelle McMahon follow her on social media and uh covering tennis now thanks for coming on the podcast Ooh,
3: thanks for having me
1: Huge thanks to both Michelle McMahon and Jason Goodall for being tremendous guests on this week's show. And thanks so much to everybody out there for listening to help grow this podcast. It's rising up the charts, still rising, and uh, couldn't have done it without all the amazing listeners out there and all the guests that took time out of their day to appear on the show. We're on every podcast platform imaginable. You can go to our website, tennis.com slash podcast, find this show, find the catalog of shows on our network, go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Amazon Music, podcast platforms galore we are on there so thanks again everybody out there for listening we're back next week we'll have a Roland Garros preview show on Thursday when the draws come out again sucks that there is no I'm going to say it sucks that there is no Rafael Nadal in this tournament but there's still tremendous storylines to be had across the board and opportunity for the men and women to make an impact at the year's second major for Jason Goodall and Michelle McMahon my name is Mitch Michaels thank you for listening to Tennis Channel Inside In and we'll see you next week